Welcome to the latest episode of Into the Wilderness, Behind the Lens, supported by Modern Huntsman, where we talk to photographers and filmmakers from around the world about some of their most striking images. I'm your host, Byron Pace. This week, I am joined by friend and extraordinarily talented film director and photographer, Max Lowe. Max was previously on episode 111, and if you enjoy this conversation and want to discover more about his current film project that we mention here, you'll want to go and dive into that show. I highly recommend, if you can, first visiting modernhuntsman.com, click the print shop and find Max Lowe so that you can look at the images he is about to talk about. You can purchase these prints along with any others in the print shop, and a portion of those profits will go to help other creatives during this crazy time of global travel restrictions. If you like the episode, let us know, give us a review, share on social, or head over to Patreon forward slash Pace Brothers to help support these productions. Okay, enough from me. Let's get into it. Max, welcome back to the Into the Wilderness podcast. Uh, it's awesome to have you back on. I can't believe it's been more than a year now since I sat down. Oh, has it been? Yeah, more than a year, I think, since I sat down in your in your studio in Montana. Yeah, I know. I think you guys you guys were here like in February, right? Because we yeah. went over and visited Yellowstone, and it was freezingly frigid and snowy and beautiful. <laughs> yeah. No, it was. It was. We had what a great time we had. And to, to have the opportunity to wander around Yellowstone with you was was pretty awesome, pretty epic. And of course, I saw bison for the first time, which uh, blew me away. Yep. Well, they're still over there, you know, hanging out. The COVID-19 has not affected. <laughs> <laughs> they, they know all about isolation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, some of the images that you've currently got up on the Modern Huntsman website that were curated by Tito West. But before we get into those and chat about the backstory to how they came to being, I wanted to ask you a, a quick question because this is kind of how we ended the last long-form podcast that we had. We were talking about new projects coming up, and I know that you were working on a film about your family. Uh, how's, how's that going? I, I've seen the odd image and bits and pieces on uh, stories on your Instagram over the last 12 months where clearly you've been doing bits of work on it. Yeah. Um, it's hailing right now in my office. I don't know if you can hear that. Oh, is that the sound? <laughs> <laughs> but it's pitter pattering on my skylight. That's okay. I think, I think that's, it's authentic. All right. Good. A little bit of background right. atmosphere. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Spring in Montana, like 70 degrees yesterday. <laughs> 35 degrees and snow hailing but uh yeah things things with the film are kind of wrapping up actually um it's, it is wild that it's it's been almost a year since we sat down and talked about it it's exciting yeah it was it was quite a journey i mean that was kind of right at the beginning when um we were still kind of figuring out where the film was going to live and we we're um talking with National Geographic, who we ended up working with on the project. And, um, yeah, kind of starting in June, it, it, 
commissioned it and sold it with National Geographic, and it kind of became my full-time job just working on that. Oh, amazing. From June and July on up until, you know, a month ago. So you, uh, what, what, what stage are you at right now? Uh, the edit is complete. I know the film is, the film is all done. Uh, and we are just kind of working on finishing as much as we can from afar, um, doing the color and sound work and finishing and, um, final touches on the custom score and the composition of the film that we've been working on with some musicians down in LA actually. And, um, looking forward and hoping that, uh, the release of the film and the premiere, um, are still going to happen here this, this fall. Amazing. So do you know, assuming that the timeline works, do you know where, where it's going to premiere? Uh, we do, but it's uh, still you can't tell me. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough. Well, we will touch base closer to the but, time so that we can let everybody know. Yeah, it should be um, coming to the public. The, the the talk is that it will hopefully be released before Christmas. So Cool. Very, very exciting. Well, I, I cannot wait to lay my eyes on it. Uh, I'm going to change, change pace, and we're going to talk about still images. So we had a, a great conversation uh, about a week ago with, with Tito and Tyler. Uh, we were looking at some of their images that are uh, currently on the print shop on the Modern Huntsman website. And it was fascinating for me to f- hear the backstory and the things that you don't know went on to get the image that is so you know, s- stunning and stark and insightful. And every image means something different to different people. I'm looking here at your um, at, at the image of this polar bear. Now, I'm assuming that this was probably taken about the same time as uh, you were making a film uh, yeah. about polar bears, which I actually just watched recently and is superb. I really, really enjoyed that. Thanks, man. Yeah, this was um, this was taken while we were up working on Bear Existence, which is as you said, uh, a short film that I was directing now a year and a half ago, about November of 2018. And we were in, in and around Churchill, Manitoba, um, in the Canadian Arctic, right on the Hudson Bay. And, uh, we saw a lot of polar bears, um, was that, was that your first time seeing polar bears? I, I probably yeah. asked you this at the time, but. Yeah, yeah. It was my first time actually um, in the Arctic. Um, I kind of dreamed up this project. Uh, some some friends here in Bozeman work for and uh, run um, a nonprofit called Polar Bears International, which is one of the largest uh, nonprofits kind of supporting polar bear conservation in the world. And um, so I'd always heard about their work just um, through hearsay here in Bozeman and always wanted to go up and you know, see a bear for my, for myself. And, um, and this is one of these things that you hear about for, as a kid and, um, imagine, uh, imagine this amazing wild creature and, um, uh, just living on the edge of edge of anything or the, the edge of existence and, yeah. and the ability to, 
just uh, go up there and see these animals in person was, um, you know, it was, it was remarkable and to be able to do so with a, with a project I was working on was even better. I haven't spent any time around bears at all. Uh, but Paul, I mean, you live right, as we said before, you live right on the edge of Yellowstone almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you live in bear country, certainly, but polar bears having the the kind of stature that they do and their place in the world as we consider a changing climate, sure. it must have been extra special spending time with polar bears as opposed to, you know, other bears that you, you've maybe seen more often. Yeah. I mean, I saw a bear day before yesterday, just a little black bear. Um, you know, I have been seeing bears here in Montana my whole life pretty much, but you know, polar bears are this enigmatic kind of um, head of the story when it comes to climate change and its impact on the environment. And, you know, not only being able to go and see them at this time and juncture in the world where, you know, if we don't make the right moves, big species like this might disappear off the face of the earth. And, you know, that's kind of a horrifying thing to imagine and think about, but to go and be able to see them in person. Yeah. And that was that was the backbone of the short documentary that you made. Yeah, and not only that, but you know, working on this film, you know, trying to bring a new perspective on that conversation um, and telling the story of these bears through some of the people who work closely to get the word out and hopefully um, enact the change that we need to see to yeah. Uh, tell me tell me a little bit more about this specific image. I, I almost want to talk about them in the sa- talk about this image of the polar bear in sure. the same breath as the the image that you have um of a bison which I'm guessing was probably taken in Yellowstone mm-hmm. because there's this beautiful symmetry and parallel to them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just looking at them here myself next to each other and it would make a pretty handsome pair. I really really, really would. The complete lack of of tone in the polar bear he's almost completely blending into that white background and then the buffalo is this like very contrasty and and uh standout figure in that snowy landscape but um yeah that moment with the bear i mean we saw a ton of bears um while we were up shooting that project and you know, this, this side profile is, is a shot that I really like, um, of animals that I've recreated, um, throughout a bunch of different environments. And, uh, I think it, it's, there's something about it that just feels like very classic and artistic, um, almost like a painting. Like if you were going yeah, to yeah. paint a polar bear, like you would paint it from the side profile. Um, at least, at least I would, um, maybe there's more advanced painters who have thought about different perspectives on polar bears, but, um, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I shot a lot of photos of, of the bears when I was up there and this was one of my favorites. It, I feel like it just captures the grace and, um, you know, the bear is kind of walking through the snowstorm and has its head down and, you know, this is a huge animal, you know? weighs upwards of like 2000 pounds, <laughs> um, are the big males. And, uh, it just looks 
very at peace and <laughs> inviting almost like you could just walk up and it would just walk by you silently. I mean, it's not the case. If you were on the ground with that animal, it would definitely try and eat you. But Did you have any, what was your closest interaction with them when you were there? Uh, so we were out on the tundra. So, I mean, you see them around town um, from your car. Uh, Churchill is on the spit of land that is um, sticks out um, the most east into the Hudson Bay. Uh, and so for that reason, it's the first place that ice forms in the Hudson Bay. And so all the bears come to that place waiting for the ice to form so they can go out and hunt for the winter. So there's tons of bears all over the place. So you see them around town um, just driving in your rental car. But for the most part, we saw them up close. And in this case, um, from the tundra buggies that we were shooting from with PBI, which are basically like giant monster trucks um, that drive around out on the tundra and amidst the bears. And um, we got pretty close. I mean, it, the tundra buggies don't approach the bears um, in the hopes to not disturb them in their natural movement. But, you know, we would park and bears would wander over and be right at the base of the wheels, you know. Um, and, you know, just a mere like 10, 15 feet away from you. Oh, wow. It's that close. I, I didn't yeah. appreciate that. I, I assumed this was a long lens job. <laughs> this, uh, I think this was probably shot on my 70 to 200. I mean, yeah. So relatively close, mm. um, not like a, a mega zoom lens. And the bears were the bears were pretty close to us. Yeah. When you're taking taking stills, are you doing it just for your own your own enjoyment of that activity, or is it part of your workflow when you're also working on films? Because that, that was your primary aim behind being there in the first place was this documentary that you were making. Yeah, it really depends um, on the project and, you know, shooting photos is what I do for fun. I was just out for two days at our family cabin in southwest Montana shooting photos of the sage grouse um, doing their mating dances. And, oh, uh, are they fully, are they in full swing right now? Yeah, yeah, they're popping. Tremendous. Literally popping their sage grouse air sacs. <laughs> 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 yes. so i mean it's something that i really enjoy and if i'm in a place where i'm experiencing something especially for the first time like this this polar bear image um you know i i'm gonna be shooting and i came up in my career pretty much doing everything at the same time i would be directing and shooting these short films and also taking stills uh, for most films like you want production stills anyway we had a we had a guy with us who was shooting some behind the scenes photos for for uh, canada goose and for the production but um you know it's it's just kind of how i operate when i'm in that creative space is doing a little bit of everything to move away from those two images um because uh, there's like you described them, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of color in either the polar bear or, or this mm-hmm. epic bison standing chest deep in the snow. But as I, I look to the the first image in the series, uh, there's three penguins with their reflection in the water and a, a, this sort of semi 
formed mushroom-shaped piece of ice and snow behind them? That was from uh, a trip that I did with National Geographic Expeditions last Christmas. Um, I did 22 days, I think it was, on the National Geographic Orion, doing two different trips down to the Antarctic Peninsula. Oh, okay. Um, and I was on those those uh, expeditions as the National Geographic photographer. So I was doing some presentations um, throughout the trips and um, teaching people about photography and shooting a lot on my on my own and kind of by that um, just giving people tips and um, chatting with folks who were also shooting photos. So. That uh, particular image was shot on um, an island just off the coast of the Antarctic Peninsula, I believe. Those are three little Adelie penguins, which are kind of the the ones that everyone thinks about when you think of uh, a classic penguin. Yeah, it's like quintessentially penguin. Yeah, yeah. You must have taken a lot of similar images to this of penguins i'm guessing mm-hmm. what was it about this one that made you pull it out as part of the the consideration for the curation of this collection yeah i mean i think when you approach uh wildlife photography like it's difficult to so many people have shot the same photos over the years of animals you know, there's, there's very few, uh, animals who haven't been photographed now on this planet, you know? So looking for different perspectives to make, um, an environment or a portrait of an animal look a little bit different or unique and engaging, I think is, um, you know, it what's, it's what adds a little bit more spice to the photo. And yeah, I mean, we were on this beach and there was all these huge washed up icebergs, just laying around in amidst these tide pools. And um, there was a huge penguin colony up on the hill where we had spent most of our time just shooting photos of the penguins wandering around. Um, just kind of your, your average photos of penguins. And um, then I noticed a bunch of them were kind of coming in up and through these tide pools. And there was these really cool reflections of the icebergs. And um, Yeah. So I got down on, on my, belly and laid in some mud and shot some reflection photos of these penguins kind of walking in towards me. Um, yeah, it's so turned, turned out to be some of my favorite photos from the trip. You're right. When it comes to wildlife photography, there's a lot of people doing it. There's a lot of, we've never been at, lived at a time where there's more availability of wildlife photography in front of your eyeballs because of the internet and platforms like like instagram so seeing something which is uh truly unique and captivating in a way that you haven't seen it before is increasingly challenging yeah i mean either you're gonna get really lucky and see something happening that is rare like you have to spend a lot of time waiting for it to happen or you just get lucky and see it (laughs) um or you kind of tweak your perspective and try and incorporate different things into images of these animals. You know? I, I definitely do not have the patience to be a full-time wildlife photographer. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I like taking pictures of, of animals, but, and other wildlife. 
but I do it in passing while doing other things. Yeah. I, I very rarely go out purely seeking, with the exception of like the black grouse lek at this time of year, just like your, your sage grouse are. I'll go out and try and photograph that because I just love being in that environment. But it's very rare that that's the reason that I'm going out to just photograph wildlife because uh, to have the patience that these wildlife filmmakers and photographers have is beyond me. I know. I was just, uh, I was on this little mini quest with my friend Ronan Donovan who shoots for National Geographic quite a bit. Mm. You know, it, it takes months and years to get together the breadth of new and innovative imagery of animals that you need to capture for a story of that caliber. And I think he was working on his first National Geographic assignment on chimps um looking at the story of chimp human conflict and he was working on that for a year just you know on his own dime working with ngos where he could just supplement his income but wow a lot of dedication it is <laughs> I've yeah never done a full-on wildlife story like that beyond um these short films that i've worked on like sky migrations and and the uh, polar bear film bear existence but yeah, takes some serious dedication. Admirable dedication. Moving away from wildlife to landscape shots, the highest. Is that, where is that? Is that somewhere in Nepal? Yeah, that is um, the south side of Mount Everest. Yeah, it's like slightly shrouded in clouds because normally if I look at a, an image of Everest, you know it's definitely Everest, but this is, kind of going to perspective like we were just saying a moment ago yeah yeah so that was shot i was kind of one of my earlier photos definitely in the earliest photo of this set um right so after, was that right? when you were doing the where you got the the scholarship or i can't remember exactly what the title was from that yeah. year to go and shoot in in nepal yep the young explorers grant um in 2012. So I was over there working on this grant project for a month and a half or so. And, and then I got the opportunity to come, uh, come up to Everest base camp and work as a, an assistant on the national geographic magazine expedition. So, um, on this day, I think the, the climbing team had all gone up the mountain and, there was just a couple of us left at base camp. And so um, you can actually, I mean, if you look closely, you can see base camp in that image. Oh, yeah. On the glacier. And so I took the opportunity to kind of hike up this hill opposing Everest and looking down on the Kumbu Glacier and um, shoot some photos of the mountain because you can't really see the, the summit of Everest from base camp. Um, it's it's blocked by um it's blocked by the ice fall uh so everest is the one on the left and then noopsy is the one on the right that's kind of shrouded in cloud cover and you know a lot of the time both of them are just lost in clouds and this day for whatever for whatever reason i just happened to get lucky and um this was like the first time I had ever in person laid eyes on the summit of Mount Everest. And yeah, it was just kind of surreal, awing experience just being there by myself, sitting on a rock. 
Looking at the highest mountain in the world. <laughs> Looking at the highest mountain on earth and thinking about all the crazy people who are trying to climb up a bit. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm so used to seeing Mount Everest from a distance in images. And the, the couple of images that I've taken of it when I was there were from so far back. It's incredibly distinctive from a distance, but like you're right in amongst it. I don't often look at, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a climber. I'm sure people who are really into climbing are always looking at pictures from base camp and, and seeing images of Everest. But for me, I'm not used to seeing it from this perspective so close up, almost upon it. Yeah, no, it's a different one for sure. Mm. why uh why black and white I, was this a color image originally mm-hmm. yeah and um i think that i just flipped it to black and white originally because the the color contrast was a little bit uh extreme like the light in the middle of the day is very very bright up there um, so some of the detail is lost uh, in color, I think. And when you flip it to black and white, instead of kind of being distracted by uh, these blown out hues of blue um, and white, uh, you just instead see the contrast and like the, the, the form of whatever you're photographing. Similar, similar to the, the polar bear and the buffalo. You know, I think that they, they're beautiful images in color in their own regard, but something about the black and white versions um, just seem a little bit more like art to me for some reason. Yeah. Um, I, mean, there, I think there's something inherently romantic about black and white images, mm-hmm. but yeah, I get what you're saying uh, in, in these kind of, environments of a very harsh sun reflecting off bright snow it can be quite distracting for the eye to really appreciate what the what the image is about uh, and when you put it in black and white I, I recently was playing around with some black and white images that i'd taken well they were color images but turn, i turned them into black and white from nepal uh, and it does give you a very different it's not just about a different feel but a different perspective on on the meaning of that image. Yeah, and I mean, there's no technical approach, I don't think. It's all just a feeling when it comes down to it. I think with photography in general, you know, the idea is to capture something unique that makes you feel something when you look at it. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of uh, trial and error, <laughs> to be honest. Like, you shoot photos that you think are good, and some of them turn out good and a lot of them don't Um, don't yeah there's a lot of a lot of photographs that end up in the recycling Mm -hmm. the electronic recycling bin and maybe you flip them to black and white and for whatever reason it just strikes you that that's the way they should be and Mm. you you just gotta listen to your intuition now i'm gonna ask you about one more photo before we sign off and that is uh, a, a color image of a floating an incredibly stunning piece of floating ice mm-hmm. with the, this amazing translucent blue hues coming through the one side of it and more sort of frosty white on the other. You must have seen a lot of floating ice <laughs> when, when you were there. What is it about this? Uh, it's kind of mesmerizing, actually. Even if you look at it, I'm, in my mind, I'm turning it on its side and upside down, and it's it's almost yeah. like an optical illusion. Yeah, I know. Um, so that photo was shot 
in the Tracy Arm Fjord um, up on the southern coast of Alaska near Petersburg. Um, we were cruising up the fjord to go look at the glacier and you know the glacier is calving off ice all the time and there's just big chunks of ice floating floating down um, along the fjord and this particular piece um you you really don't see a ton of ice with that like amazing translucent uh see-through quality coming off of glaciers because a lot of it you know just gets beat up um and looks more like a, a chunk of kind of dirty snowy ice um you know this the stuff that's super blue and clear has been under extremely high pressure and so it's at the core of like a bigger chunk of ice and it's then melted down and you know this was way down on the fjord kind of by itself um just kind of floating way away from the rest of the ice that we later encountered. And I think it was probably a larger berg that had slowly melted down as it was floating out to sea. And um, because it was so far away from the rest of the glacier, like it was down in a part of the fjord where there were these huge green conifers um, reflected in the water, giving it this really dark hue. And so I was able to capture this image of this amazing beautiful piece of ice reflected in this really dark water. Yeah. Yeah. It's very unusual that it's not. Yeah. It's just, it's just weird that you would encounter a piece of ice in a visual situation like that. Max, I won't keep you any longer. It's been intriguing to hear the backstories behind these images. And if people want to, what I would suggest if people are at home and not listening to this in the car, which a lot of people listen to podcasts in the car, including me, but you're probably not going to be right now because nobody's going anywhere, is listen to this interview. I'm pro- I should probably say this in the intro, which I will when I intro you, uh, with these images in front of you, because I, I think it'll you know, we can describe them uh, with the best will, will in the world. You you can't do justice to the images just in description. Um, so yeah. if you haven't done it to this point, go and have a look uh, on the Modern Huntsman website and click max low and the we haven't talked about all the images because there's six images up here um but the ones that we have talked about you'll be able to see and uh, you can see what it is that we've been talking about and now you know a little bit more about how they came to being which i think is pretty cool yeah uh, thanks very much for joining me today max yeah great chatting man always a pleasure and uh hopefully when the world to- turns back to normalcy uh, you can come and join me in Scotland at some point. I know we were, we were talking about it on uh, Messenger the other day. Yeah, I would love to come over and work on something with you guys over there, whether it's a photo or maybe a film project or something. That'd be very cool. I, I have a, I have a request actually, since I've got you, I've got you as a captive audience. <laughs> when you're doing the the world tour of your film, I'm hoping that there's going to be some dates in the UK so that I can come along. Yeah. No, I. I I'm hoping that as well. I think we'll definitely, at very least, screen it in London. Yeah. Um, but my editor is from Ireland, so uh, I'm hoping that we Ireland's can... good too. I can take a plane over to Ireland. Or I don't need much of an excuse to come back to America, so I can easily you know, yeah. do a little, little, little tour around North America. Sounds good. Well, it'll definitely be screening somewhere in North America. Good stuff. <laughs> Thanks some... a lot, Max. Great to speak to you. You too, buddy. 
Thanks very much for listening to another episode of Behind the Lens. Join me in a week's time when we will have our normal long-form conversation. And I'm joined by the amazingly talented filmmaker, Ryan Youngblood.